Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films for 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by filmmaker Domi Shi, director of Bao in 2018 and Turning Red in 2022, uh, both from the wonderful folks at Pixar. Hello, Domi. Hi, good to be here. Thanks for talking to us today. And, and on the day of recording, um, it is the, the day the BAFTA nominations have been announced and Turning Red is, is right up there on the animated feature film shortlist. So uh, huge congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, super excited to come back to London. I know Turning Red came out a little while ago. It was maybe released sort of last spring on on Disney Plus but uh, I'm here holding my copy of the film on on Blu-ray I've seen this film so many times I I love the movie it's uh, it really does reward rewatching as well thank you I love that cover too I I don't think I've seen that DVD cover yet in the states Oh, that's so cute. It's incredible. I, I was just like, well, I, I want to own this film. You know, like I want to have a physical copy of it. It wasn't just me. You know, I, I think it, it connected with a lot of people. You released it so wide because it went out onto Disney Plus. Um, and a lot of people must have seen it in a very short space of time. What was it like being at the middle of that and, and hearing that feedback? Amazing. I mean, we've been so close with this movie, making it for the last four years, half of which we made from home, from our closets, from our guest bedrooms uh and i've been looking at reviews on my on my tiny laptop screen uh so to finally uh have it done and released and and shared with the whole world um it's just yeah it just feels like a relief it's a it's like a release of all this built up bottled up emotion and excitement and anticipation and then oh it's finally out and oh my god people actually like it and connect with it thank god uh so it's been great. And also just even he- like seeing of all of the different feedback from people of all ages too, like seeing how it connects with uh, kids and teens in a specific way, you know, like they really resonate with May and her journey of, you know, dealing with magical puberty and her mom and the messiness of growing up. But a lot of parents have come to me too. And like, I've been surprised at how much they resonate with the movie and how they see the movie more from the mom's perspective. And they want to thank us for like just creating this movie that can start a lot of important conversations in like families and living rooms and, and even to the like, uh, childless adults too like just reminding them like oh my god remember how cringy it was to be in middle school and this age and uh aren't you glad you're over that (laughs) yeah there's so many touchstones and ways into it but it does sort of it drew me back to being a child and and you had so many great touchstones in there for like uh, certain you know items iconography which i remembered from being a a child and tamagotchi being one of them um it was uh, great to see a a tamagotchi on screen in 2022 yes yes it was so important for us to get that in the movie because it just felt like such an important part of um, my tweenhood and growing up in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s and um we 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 just had to like justify it because um in in computer animation when you add like a dangly accessory it becomes very complicated and expensive because you have to simulate the physics of the dangly 
accessory. So we actually incorporated it more into the story. Like it becomes almost like a symbol of May and her friendship with Miriam. And um, it, it, it comes back in like a fun way at the very end of the movie. Uh, and that was how we were able to buy the Tamagotchi into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and the film's full of that, you know, like lots of really like nice details and sometimes like quite quick gags or sort of background items, which then become quite a big thing in the film. I imagine, you know, it's just sort of planning turning red and the writing and, and, and the storyboarding, like it feels like a work of art, you know, sort of in its own right. Can you, can you sort of remember, um, you know, the various stages it went through and, and how you felt when you, you landed on that final script? As you know, like animation is just a labor of love. It's making film, but in slow motion. Uh, and like everything that you see on screen was made by like a, a very talented craftsman or craftswoman. And we don't get anything for free. Like all of the clothing, all of the props, all of the texture and grit and detail uh, in the set, every like imperfect little nick uh, on the wall or on, or on the floor, like has to be handmade. And uh, it just takes an in incredible crew of people who who love animation who, and who love their job uh, to make these movies. And yeah, and, and I first pitched this in 2017, um, right after I had finished Bao and Pixar had approached me, like asking me to pitch three ideas for a feature film. Um, and I knew right away that um, I really wanted to tell uh, a coming of age story revolving around a, a female character. So all three of my ideas were girls coming of age in different ways, because I really just wanted to make a movie for my 13 year old self to kind of help me through the ups and downs of, of growing up. And I was just really passionate about telling that story. Turning Red was the most, I think, autobiographical because um, it was directly inspired by my own life growing up in Toronto, Canada, you know, in the early 2000s. I, I was May Lynn. I was her. I, I was like struggling between being a perfect daughter to my mom, but fighting with her all day and being like a gnarly, horny, <laughs> hormonal beast. And I just thought, wouldn't it be so funny and uh, and weird to uh, uh, create this visual metaphor for puberty, like as this giant, hairy, red panda creature that that this girl turns into? And I had never seen that before. Uh, I feel like I've seen like teen transformation movies revolving around dudes, like you know, Teen Wolf, where you got the Hulk, but I hadn't really seen it with like a girl yet. Um, so I thought it could like, like, wouldn't it be fun to create our own incredible Hulk, but like make, make her cu cuter. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> Giant red panda. That reminds when you were talking, it reminded me of that great scene where, um, we see May as the panda, uh, go past the store with the, the boy that she actually has a crush on and she just goes, oh, wooga! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that's one of my favorite gags. Uh, I, I also, you know, I'm an animation nerd, so I love like classic Looney Tunes cartoons as well. And it was a fun little nod to to those cartoons. Um, it was something that me and the story that the head of story, Rosie Sullivan, kind of came up with because we both kind of like that like crass kind of humor and. Uh, it was funny too because we had to 
when we uh, worked with Rosalie Chang, the voice actress for May, and we had her record the line, she she didn't understand the reference because she's so young, and she just like phonetically like pronounced the word like awuga. What what is that? And I was like, oh, you know, it's like uh, it's like old Lo Looney Tunes cartoons, like when they go awuga. And, and she's like, well, what is that from? What is that in reference to? And then I actually had to think about it, and I was like. I think it's an old timey car horn, like those old cars that go auga, but it's supposed to be like an exclamation towards a, a a physically attractive character. I had to break it down for her in that way. Ah, uh, that was really fun. That's incredible. We're bringing it back to the old timey car horns uh, for twenty twenty three. I think now's a good time, actually, because we're, we're talking about sort of classic animation sort of nods and, and, and things. And, and, you know, we are a podcast that celebrates films under 90 minutes long. Nothing against films that are over. I feel like every film, you know, should have its freedom to be its own length. But isn't it nice when a film is under 90 minutes long? And, and that's sort of what we're trying to do uh, with, with the show and build up this incredible list curated by guest speakers such as yourself. And uh, and uh, and yeah, we did ask you for a little bit of homework, um, Domi, for the show. So uh, so what film have you chosen? Uh, for us today i have chosen uh the lion king Lion King, 1994, uh, Walt Disney Animation uh, picture, um, and, and I'm just as surprised uh, as, as you, Domi. I've got a copy of the DVD here in front of me, and uh, not that anybody needs reminding what the Lion King is, because I'm sure everybody has seen it uh, many times, but uh, on the back of the DVD, it says, embark on an extraordinary coming-of-age adventure as Simba, a lion cub, who cannot wait to be king, searches for his destiny in the great circle of life. I think that's all we need to say about the... Yeah, you know, the story there, they've, they've summed it up there. There's a couple of song references in there as well. He he really cannot wait to be king, um, mm. as, as we hear in, in song. Um, and it was released in uh, across the world in, in 1994, a very, very successful film at the box office and, uh, and critically um, lots of fans. I'm really surprised that you guys haven't talked about it yet. Uh, and I was also surprised that it was under 90 minutes because it's such an epic sweeping movie that spans like many years but uh that's that's just it's just amazing how it's it's under 90 minutes when did you first watch the lion king i think i watched it when i was literally four years old in theaters but uh i remember like i chose this well, one, because it's under 90 minutes and it's one of my favorite movies ever, but also it's the first movie I ran out of before finishing because I was so traumatized by Mufasa's death. Uh, but it stayed with me. It's like one of those first movies that just like that hit me in a deep way in how it depicted uh, death. Uh, and uh, I think I, I, I was maybe a little like too young to really process it, but like I was scared, but something about the movie made me want to go back to watch it again. And so I like I worked up the courage and and then I, I, I watched it again and I and I loved it all the way through. But I just it was it just stayed with me for my entire life. And it's one of my comfort movies that I just revisit over and over again, even now. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to have those films that, you know, you can always go back to. And, you know, like this is going to be a great, you know, 90 minutes of, of, of time and it will take my mind off whatever's uh, going on. I, I feel like the lion king is one that i could almost quote without realizing i could quote it was only when i was re-watching it for this certain lines were about to happen and i knew exactly what it was and it's just like seeped into my dna 
<laughs> for a, a work of art, you know, to, to sort of do that and to stay with you for, for me, you know, like 20 or so years, it's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great balance of, um, of everything like melodrama, humor, like amazing songs and like such cinematic spectacle, uh, like, yeah, like sequences, like the, the, wildebeest stampede the opening where it's it's like something ripped out of national geographic i feel like nothing from north america like looked like this movie until this movie came out uh it was just extremely cinematic and it just it yeah it's just so bold and and the songs oh my gosh the the songs are just amazing a masterpiece i think <laughs> The songs are, are, are sort of perfectly placed throughout the film as well. Like they never leave you for too long without a song, but there aren't sort of like too many that get in the way. And I think how they deploy them is is so good. And that amazing mm -hmm. score from Hans Zimmer as well. Like it's, it's sort of got like so many people on their A game. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. The score and even, you know, Elton John's lyrics, but then the, the way they produced it with like an African chorus and it's, it's amazing. And it was Disney's B movie at the time, like they were making two films at the same time. Like Pocahontas was like their A movie, and then Lion King, I've I've heard was their like B movie. But then this ended up being like a massive, massive success. And and yeah, like like back to the theme of like ninety minutes or less. Telling a ninety minute movie is so hard. <laughs> like from firsthand experience, like we were trying like. 90 minutes was our goal as well, but it's just, it's so difficult to do and it requires so much skill and discipline and killing your babies and real and like really, really honing in on what you want to say with your movie um, and just not being precious about any of the other elements that that have nothing to do with your story. Like... Two hour movies can have a bigger cast. They can have a lot of like little like it's like subtext and like B plots going on. But like a 90 minute movie, really, it's like it's an exercise in discipline. Like like you really just have to choose one thing you want to say, one main character with one main relationship, maybe like another side relationship. Uh, but like really, like you just have to like focus uh, and, and, and just really co concentrate all of your, you know, energy on, on, on that character's journey. And, uh, and yeah. And then watching the Lion King, it's just amazing. Cause they, it's, uh, it's, it's so like tight, but they have such a, a big expansive world. It's like the world feels so rich and he has many friends and he has a love interest and a father and a mother and a crazy uncle. And, uh, I mean, maybe it helped too that they were influenced by, like it was Hamlet. So maybe Shakespeare like laid the groundwork for them a little bit. I don't know, but it's it's still, I just I just think it's so amazing uh, that they were able to tell such a tight, um, deep story in that amount of time. I can't work out where sort of the time goes in this because you're like you say, it feels epic. You know, it's a story of betrayal. There's a time jump. You know, we say we go into the future. Simba grows up, you know, but it's, it's all done so economically. And, and the cast is huge. It's not just one villain. He's got three henchmen who all have characters and voices. And he's got his two best pals you meet halfway through the film. And, you know, like there's it's it's it, it does feel like magic. I, I feel like 
and maybe it's just because how swept up you get in the film and your brain sort of plays tricks on you. But some of those major scenes are only a couple of minutes long, but they mm -hmm. say so much that moves mm -hmm. the story forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you're just following Simba on his journey this whole time. And um, they really just focus on on him and his and his like growing up and his coming of age. Uh, but yeah, like you said, like there's a villain song. They like cut away to Timon and Pumbaa, like singing Lion Sleeps Tonight in the Jungle. There's like so many little moments like where we're, we are kind of enjoying the scene and we're just kind of like with, yeah, with other characters too. So it's just, yeah, it's a crazy magic trick. I don't know how they did it. I mean, I tried, I tried <laughs> our movie, but we, we couldn't uh, just keep it under 90. Uh, it's hard. Hey, come on, Timon. You guys have to create a diversion. What do you want me to do? Dress and drag and do the hula? Wow! If you're hungry for a hunk of fat and juicy meat, eat my buddy Pumbaa here because he has a treat. Coming down a dine, on a Stacy swine. All you have to do is get in line. Ah, you aching? Yup, yup, yup. Oh, some bacon. Yup, yup, yup. He's a big pig. Yup, yup. You can be a big pig too. I'd laugh so much at this film uh, during the Timon and Pumbaa scenes. I, I was sort of wondering if, um, I don't know, if you, if there's sort of any moments of comedy in this film as well. We, we sort of talked about the, the tragedy and the emotions, but does this film make you laugh too? Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, I always crack up when, uh, in Act 3, when they have to distract the hyenas and then Timon's like, what do you want me to do? Put on a, a skirt and do the hula? <laughs> and... It's so good. <laughs> and then, because then you just hard cut and then the, the, the drums kick in and then it's the most ridiculous uh, slapstick <laughs> gag ever. But it works. But it, it works. It drives the plot forward. They're luring the hyenas away. And it's also hilarious to see that movie just like showed that there's like ways you can include gags and uh, jokes that further the plot as well like if you need your character to get from point a to point b like make it funny mm -hmm. or interesting or exciting or something yeah but that's always been uh, a joke that i always laugh at even now because <laughs> we see how serious the film can be there's that amazing imagery in the elephant graveyard early on it's really really scary and the uh, stampede mm -hmm. is, is is also like really serious and there's emotional stakes and timon and pumbaa are they're like the genie and aladdin they sort of break the fourth wall a little bit and they're big and they're funny and it's so weird that the worlds collide at the end where they do the sort of hula skirt uh skit wow. where did they get the hula skirt from doesn't matter uh, but that's sort of in the den you know of, of the hyenas uh, and, and it just yeah. works and i feel like that's such a great sort of exercise in tonality and like i guess again like world building and showing that these two people live side by side yeah yeah and i think it also like shows how like you know one helps the other like tonally like the the little comedic breaks help kind of add a little bit of levity and break up all of the seriousness and drama of, of, of your movie and then vice versa too. Like the more serious moments make these funny little gags like feel like like even funnier and, and more like of a relief and you enjoy them even more. It's like you need the the sweet with the sour or the sweet with the bitter a little bit. And um I think I feel like, you know, I I, I definitely took that uh and 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 tried to I, I think 
for, for all Pixar movies too. Like, I think it's always a balance between like drama and comedy. Cause I think you need both. Yeah. They sort of, I, I love films that take the audience on a journey, you know, and, and we all want to laugh. We want to cry. You know, we want to feel like our time has been well spent. And, and I think we sort of see that in yeah, so many Pixar films and, uh, and, and also in the Lion King. I was wondering if, if sort of moments like that, you know, you sort of see directly in, in things like turning red. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I never drew the comparison before, but actually for our act three, when the, when mom, when Ming goes Godzilla and she's like at the boy band concert and she's like furious with May for running away and, you know, dishonoring her family and, and uh, May who's there, who's like angry at her mom for like ruining the best day of her life. Um, we always went back and forth on, um, on that moment, because we knew it was going to be a big Godzilla mom-daughter fight for the ages. Like, that's what we were leading up to. But in the various screenings, uh, you know, that we tried, uh, it always ended up, like, not clicking enough because it always felt either too violent or too scary. And we were losing the metaphor of, oh, it's a teen daughter and a mother fighting. It just felt like a monster, like a generic monster movie so then we realized like we should lean into the specificity of who these characters are and how would they fight even if even though ming is a you know 200 foot tall godzilla creature she's still a mom a, a, a very hurt very offended mom so like we added like mannerisms to you know to her acting like put her paws on her on you know on her hips have her wag her finger and that still made her scary but added a lot of humor and character and fun to the scene as well and 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 uh similarly to to may you know instead of making her this like screaming scared little you know victim running around from a giant monster that's gonna kill her you know we we gave her sass and we gave her like spunk and anger you know like like just this indignation of like oh my god like like how dare you mom and and we never played her scared of her mom even though her mom was giant like we just put her the mentality of like a, an angry teen daughter who's furious that her mom is like wants to control her life and we thought wouldn't it be funny like like how would she fight back against her mom like it wouldn't be it's not like any other action movie where you're taking down a godzilla how would a teen daughter take down a a a Godzilla mom. Oh, like she would try to offend her as much as she could. But that's where the twerking came in. That's where the like that actually has a like a deep character, you know, meaning to, to it. It's it's funny. It's hilarious as hell. But it's also like like wouldn't like like it just made sense. It's like oh my gosh, like this teen this teenager who's at the end of her rope with her controlling mom. Like what is the one thing that she could do to like really piss her off? <laughs> just turn her around, stick her butt out, and then just like start uh, 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 like backing up, backing up uh, to her mom. And uh, that just felt so funny too that that would be Ming's kryptonite. Would be like, oh my god, seeing her daughter do this weird raunchy dance. No, like it wouldn't be the military coming in. It wouldn't be like the the army. It would, it would be her the image of her teen daughter doing weird vulgar dance moves and yeah and and that's that's how you combine all of it like like add humor into a dramatic moment but it has to come from character too um but i thought it was funny that we had a twerking moment and then my favorite 
scene from The Lion King was the hula dancing <laughs> uh, scene. I, I guess it has like subliminally affected me for all these years. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad we got to work through it and actually, you know, like see the sort of a like, over 20 yeah. year sort of connection. It's been bubbling away yes. and now we get to see it in, in, in turning red. Where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> because we are a, a fictional film festival, but we are, you know, a film festival in, in body and, and mind. We, we do sort of like to end our interviews with asking if uh, if I could give you a print of The Lion King and a, a blank check to put on a show. If you've got a favorite movie theater or location that you maybe would like to see The Lion King on the big screen at. Oh, man, I'd love to see it at the um, at the Chinese theater in Hollywood or no, wait, wait, is it Chinese theater or the El Capitan theater? I, I forget which one. Either the Chinese theater or the El Capitan theater in Hollywood. Yeah, it just feels classic. Uh, it also just like it's a great venue um, and you're like kind of there in the heart of Hollywood and L.A. And it just would take me back to like, oh, if I could go to the premiere, like I would have watched it. Uh, here yeah to see it with a huge crowd that would be amazing yeah. you know people yeah. laughing and crying along yeah that'd be so awesome or like like a like a sing-along or something too that'd be great okay well that's great that's a lovely addition to our animation corner at the 90 minutes or less film fest we've got some other great movies here a couple of other disney films like dumbo and 101 dalmatians yours is the first uh pick though of a 90s you know that renaissance period um in disney so great to have it on board and yeah you know let's let's find a sing-along print let's do this well, thank you so much for your time today, Domi. I know you're super busy with uh, work things and awards things and, you know, still talking about turning red is, uh, is, is such a wonderful thing to be able to do. So thank you for, for joining us. Yeah, of course. It was so much fun to go down memory lane with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. Oh, that's a cat. <laughs>